Hi, this is Jay Todd Anderson, and you are listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. It just must be another edition of Filmically Perfect on 91.3 WYSO, and what an adventure we have in store. I'm Nikki Dakota, joined in the studio by the Film Guys. It is my great, great pleasure to welcome the Nitrate Film Archivist for the Library of Congress and the largest frame brain on the planet. He is our friend, George Willimum. George, welcome. Ah, uh, Nikki Dakota, again we see there is nothing that we know that we cannot make fun of about you. <laughs> also in the studio and live and in person, he is the storyboard artist for the Coen Brothers and many, many other movies that we all know and love. He is uh, also our friend, and he's J. Todd Anderson. J. Todd, thanks for being here. And it's always a pleasure to be with Nikki Secret Dakota Ring. <laughs> I thought that was our secret name. <laughs> well... Oh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, right. that's right. It's so our no secret knows. name. <laughs> <laughs> and we are brought together by one of the finest adventure movie cliffhanger after cliffhanger uh, uh, extravaganzas that has ever been made, in my opinion. Wait a minute. Stop the wait, music. Wait. Stop the music. We're not talking about the new movie that's in the theaters right now. It's important. May 22nd was the release in 2008. Yeah. No, 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 no. No. What could we possibly be talking about, George? We are talking about the one only original first time round best uh, served warm Raiders <laughs> of the Lost Ark. And that was originally released in 1981. 1981. This summer is another one of, the, one of the big summer movies, right, George? That's right. If there was another big summer movie in 81, I can't remember what it was. <laughs> Started by Jaws many years, a few years before that. And this was part of the big new summer, summer movie market. Yeah. Yes. Now, just curiously, and I don't know if you either of you knows, but is uh, uh, the music, by the way, did they use the same music, the same theme uh, for the new the, one? The four movies? Oh, they, they, used, they dropped that in there in the new one. I have seen the new one. Um, yeah. We're not going to talk about that, of course. But, <laughs> but, it, um, but they do. I mean, how can you not use that music? It's so hooky. I yeah, mean, it is. You can't play it without whistling it. it uh, had, no, and plus I mean, you, it, it's such... It's such a great theme, and it was a great theme right from the beginning. I mean, it, it's it's you know when John Williams was firing on all twelve cylinders and and came up with this, this these wonderful uh, motifs for all Ooh. the characters. And uh, if you try like to if you try to hum, uh, yeah, if you try to hum that, if you year try to hum Superman's theme at the same time as you're humming this theme in your head. <laughs> You're going to kind of run into each other because they're very similar. Don't There's you a think, triumphant oh, yeah. aspect. Well, it's a definite, I mean, it's a definite John Williams march tune. Yeah, you know what? The, one of the best references for your older listeners out there for John Williams' march tune is the second or third season of Lost in Space. You can hear John Williams hitting on that movie, on that mm-hmm. television show. That, if you want to look it up on YouTube, I'm sure it's out there somewhere. It's Lost in Space, not the first one, but I think it's the second or third season. That is John Williams starting to take names in the right. business. And that's when, and I believe he was still credited, his early credits are always Johnny Williams. Oh, is that right? So That he, was like, television, mature, of course. So, sort of like um, you know. 
Johnny Mellencamp, Johnny Hoosier, eventually became, yeah. So he matured, and uh, certainly by 81, which was even uh, some time later, he still, though, was putting out some amazing scores. Oh, yeah. I mean, he already had at least one, and I think actually maybe two Oscars by that time. And he's still uh, on the... He's still going strong, I think. He's still them out. Gentlemen, before we move too much further down the pass, it is important to note that the movies that we discuss on Filmically Perfect are perfect movies and that this designation does not come lightly. There are strict and fast rules, and among those gentlemen, the rules are... Well, Raiders of the Lost Ark, the original movie, creates the world that it exists in. And it wholly sustains that world. And regardless of changes in society, Raiders of the Lost Ark 1981 retains its meaning and entertainment value. And Raiders will never be placed in any preferential or numerical order. It is perfect by its own scale. Yeah, the only person that argues with us on that is Bud Inski. <laughs> Occasionally, yeah, he, he actually, we had to get the grip uh, tape out the other day. To do uh, <laughs> a, a, a sort of a Raiders ripoff called uh, The Tales of Gwendolyn in the Land of the Yik Yaks. <laughs> But, uh, but we said no. <laughs> Nothing Mainly doing. We, we said, of it. we said, but were you talking? Did, did you actually <laughs> say something? Are you, you still know? talking? <laughs> just, just take this trash and, and take it over to that guy's office and, and just leave us alone. Leave us alone, bud. But it's right. no remember inside. that if we want crap out of him, we'll squeeze his head. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> remember last time, George, we messed up Studio A at WYSO when we did that. It was, it was very yeah, nasty. They, it looked like a chocolate chip like cookie all over the wall. <laughs> Okay, just as a way of, even though there's so much action in this film, none of which Budinsky is a part of, because um, really it's like one cliffhanger after the next, and it was really patterned off of that old music uh, or that old movie uh, uh, device where they had cliffhangers to get people to come back to the theater. They'd leave you. It was before the well, main feature. Is, I think you I remember, mean the serial. The serial. That's what I mean. I think I remember some of the original interviews on this movie when they were when Lucas and Spielberg were talking about how it was going to be one endless cliffhanger all the way through the movie which is a lot different from what these movies became um, because all these cliffhangers have to tell kind of a little mini story and that's you know it was Saturday morning way back before George and I's time um, they would have these every Saturday and they'd leave you at a cliffhanger but this movie is a seamless seamless cliffhanger wouldn't you agree George oh yeah I mean it's beautifully the way the I mean the, the cliffhangers uh, for the most part, unlike a lot of the serials, uh, do really work well in, in sort of logical progression. There, there's one, I, I think, the the one where the truck blows up and then later on, you know, you find Marion's okay is a little iffy. <laughs> and they kind of get away with it by ha- by throwing in the line, oh, they must have switched baskets. I'm like, okay. Yeah, yeah, but by that time, and you're deep into the movie. Yeah, you're sort of, and they knew they could get away with it. And this you know? movie, if you really want to talk about uh, its its form... This movie is one of the most perfect movies when you come to establishing your premise and executing it. It's only as good as the setup. And this movie is like the king of setups in movies. If you watch the stuff in this movie, you're going to notice very, very smooth setups. And the payoff is really quick. Uh, unlike the the more modern movies where they keep going on and on in these amusement park rides. it's It builds and builds. The, the first scene is kind of long, and then the rest of the little cliffhangers are kind of small, kind of small. They're all set up very nicely. They really are. And it, well, you know, I mean, you always hear in, in like, script writing that you got to grab your audience in the first, what, five pages. And and you got to give real kudos to, to Spielberg and Lucas and and the two other uh, the guys who worked on it, uh, Phil Kaufman. And Kaz. Right stuff. And Lawrence Kasdan, who actually wrote the screenplay, 
uh, for doing the great uh, one of the greatest first five pages in any movie because it you know it hooks you right there from those first the Speaking, first time he walks into that cave yeah and it, it never lets you go and that it big, never does big rolling ball nobody will ever forget it mm-hmm. no I I was talking to um, uh, Ethan Cohen's little boy and I think he's eleven and I asked him he had seen uh, he hadn't seen the other movie but he remembered the first one the first thing he said out of his mouth he's an eleven year old kid. He remembered the big ball rolling. And that is a real, real strong image. It is a strong image. I mean, it even is, uh, it, it almost has some iconic aspects uh, of it. And I think that there's been something akin to that in a nightmare of almost all of us at some point in our lives. It's just to be crushed by <laughs> well, a rolling yeah, boulder. I think the great thing about it is that this beautiful buildup of, you know, even in the opening, there's like just, it's like one peril after the other. You know, and at the point where the big ball comes down is where, of course, he thinks. Everything's great. He's got the idol. Everything's fine and dandy. And then you hear this ka-chunk, and he looks around, and here comes this big ball out of the ceiling. Again, more great setup. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this movie is so balanced when it comes to visual setups. This is a very cinematic film. And this, given it is absolutely sort of a set of cliffhangers, but there is a unifying theme. And in in just a short short span, uh, George, could you uh, just give us the overview of the action? Because there is a, there's a, there's a... A theme, a thread that holds it all together. Yeah, well, basically the story is about a uh, roving archaeologist, Indiana Jones, who uh, is hired by the U.S. government to go and meet up with an old comrade of his uh, who may or may not have some, some questionable dealings with, uh, with the Nazis. This is in 1936. And um, he goes to, I believe it's Nepal, and meets with the, the daughter of his, uh, of his old comrade, Marion, uh, who's played by uh, Karen, Karen Allen. Allen. Love her. And um, turns out that that he's he's gone. He's passed on. But but uh, she has this medallion of his that it seems that the Nazis want to get from her. So the two of them team up and head to the the Middle East to, to try and figure out you know if they can find the uh, the remains of the Ark of the Covenant. The, because this medallion goes on top of a staff, which is going to reveal the, the actual location. Correct. Yeah. So, so basically, Indy runs afoul of the Nazis and a, uh, a rather slimy uh, archaeologist named uh, Belloc, who, um, who is also looking for the, for the Ark, for his own. But he's uh, your classic, smooth European villain. Mm-hmm. With a like, French accent. This is, yeah, this is where, um, before they became English. You know, oh. <laughs> the villains, you know. Well, ironically, I believe he's played by an English actor. True, yeah. right. He's uh, a slick so a lot, of, a lot of interesting characters come into play. Little, uh, I think Ronald Lacey, who plays uh, Major Tolt, Arnold Gestapo Man, yes. who is probably, as you were saying, uh, one of the great... Uh, vi- villains of all time. Well, George and I like him because he's a sweaty villain. We right. love sweaty villains. And Even then, in the desert, he's completely dressed. This guy can give any girl the creeps just by turning three quarters into the lens, and you go, ah. <laughs> So basically, it becomes a race to discover uh, the, the proper location, discover and claim uh, the Ark of the Covenant, which is, contains supposedly the broken pieces of the uh, Ten Commandments. Because this is rumored to have what, George? It's rumored to have uh, incredible power to any army that, that uh, is led by it. And it's, it's at a Pentecostal church here in uh, New Carlisle, Ohio now. Really? Yeah. Who knew? 
<laughs> they got a hold of the that, thing. They use it, uh, and, they and they're use it as, they're going to use that darn when thing when they have uh, when they have potlucks. <laughs> <laughs> They're trying to find some silverware, you know. It's worth a drive, that, yeah. (laughs) It's here in Ohio now. (laughs) But back then, it was in great peril. Far more dangerous back then. By the Nazis, yeah. (laughs) So ultimately, uh, I guess we don't have to do a spoiler on this, too. No, uh, but, you know, the the whole film becomes this great sort of ping pong match, one upsmanship as the the arc is sort of tossed back and forth between, between Indiana Jones and the Nazis. Yeah. When, uh, which all comes up to this incredible finale, which I'm guessing everybody out there has seen, so I'm not going to say anything about it. It's if still you haven't great. Seen it, yeah. Go out and get it today. Absolutely. We're talking about Raiders of the Lost Ark, the first in the, the franchise. First in the franchise. We can't yeah. say trilogy anymore because now there's a fourth. Yeah. Uh, but uh, 1981 Raiders of the Lost Ark, Indiana Jones. And uh, let's talk a little bit about the. The, the the actual artistry of putting these amazing feats to film. It's Well, this movie was one of the movies that got me interested in storyboarding because um, George had given me a book years ago, the illustrated screenplay of Raiders of the Lost Ark. And, well, how um, cool. And I believe uh, one of the artists was Sherman Lavey uh, in there. But that's what got me inspired was this. And, and I do remember seeing all the little uh, the Harrison Ford characters look like Tom Selleck. Um, because Who I, now almost I under- got the part, but now anyway. Now I understand because I have driven... <laughs> On, um, on the No Country for Old Men, I had drawn several characters in there until we got Josh Brolin. So uh, Heath Ledger was in there, and then uh, uh, there's another guy in there. I can't remember, but uh, there's several characters that they were casting. And you have time. to model the storyboards I after. I do, because I'm too lazy to go back and erase them out. Um, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, the Phoenix guy, what's his name, Phoenix? Uh, River Phoenix? No, no, no. Jacqueline? Oh, yeah, Jacqueline Phoenix Joaquin is one Phoenix. of the Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah. yeah, he was he was in there too. Oh, in the, for heaven's sake! But now I I remember I look back on that book and I I can understand why these great artists were drawing Tom Selleck because there's just no time to go back. And George gave me that book. I remember it was really a great book. Well, how cool! Good, good job, George. It's, it's been out of print for many many years, but for anyone who is interested in in seeing how storyboarding can really it really works with a film, it's a great book. It's and, very. Unlike a lot of books about movies, it's very unadulterated. Yeah, yeah they didn't a lot of extra ham it up. Junk with... stuff stuck in it. It's basically the continuity script and the storyboard. I remember in college, George and I were making little movies, and we used that book quite a bit trying to figure out how to do stuff. And, uh... and it's pretty pretty true to the and original I remember, storyboards. I've always remembered when you watch the movie and you watch the pace of this movie and how even, and you watch these beautiful reveals that Spielberg likes to do, these, these like arc you know, not, not no pun intended with the Ark mm-hmm. of the Covenant in this, but these mm-hmm. Ark reveals that he does with a camera where you see all this action again, nice establishment, building, 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 and then you see uh you see Harrison Ford up there on a on a on a scope, he's looking across the desert with that what do you call those scopes, George? You look across things you, you measure with and Oh uh, uh yeah, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> a transit? No Transit, yeah. Oh, okay. It, it, he's looking through there and then there's a couple other reveals in there and um all this stuff is laid out beautifully in one of the marvelous scenes in the movie, which is I don't I've never heard them officially say it, but it's to me it looks like the homage of homages to Alfred Hitchcock is the airplane scene um, where it's spinning. It matches. It looks a little bit like uh, uh, Strangers on a Train, you know, because of the the merry-go-round business, oh, and, yeah. and then it looks also like the gas station and the birds, <laughs> and and. Um, and of course, the guy gets it, you know, when he's not looking. And right. that is like, to me, that is like Spielberg's homage of homages to Alfred Hitchcock. Okay, that, I, I got to watch it again. That, that we can say about this movie is that, you know, this is a movie made by two guys 
who grew up with move, classic movies on TV in the 50s. And they're very, very much you know, embedded in their heads. And this was a way of them getting them out of their heads is to you know, basically do homages throughout the film to, to great films and filmmakers and shots that they'd seen. You know, because there's all the great you know, 30s wipes and dissolves. And but these when are... you get on the airplane, there's the map with the moving line. Oh, yes, oh, that's I beautiful. Love and they that. still do that in the new they, movie. They, yeah. They describe it's it's very, so, yeah. yeah, they, they superimpose the one over the other. You still see the airplane, but right. you see the line of the map. I love that. But in comparison to the original movie, what they were doing was inspired work off their heroes. Now, if you see the new movie, it's a knockoff of the original movie. Well, yeah, They're you know? knocking well, off themselves. Yes, yes. What always yes. happens when you get into a series like this, I mean, I think as we talked about many, many, many months ago when we were discussing uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, you know, the first film is genuinely scary, but by the time you get to three or four, it becomes a parody of itself. And that happened as you were talking earlier um, when we were discussing this um, James Bond film. Yeah. Yeah. It's very hard to capture that original kind of inspiration. If you watch this movie and you compare it to the later movies, there's a little bit of a serious tone in this movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's almost kind of grippingly believable sometimes. I mean, it's a good thing that, you know, Nazis... Are around because we would not have any real good. Yeah, bad they're guys, like I know, you know? they're the standard <laughs> demons, you know. And they really had great Nazi bad guys. They always have yeah. them shot low with their legs spread out, and, and the guy's always sweating, and he looks like somebody you would never, ever, ever even wave at when you're driving by in a car. Um, and then they, he has a lot of wonderful gags in there. And George, you can tell us about the clothes hanger gag, where that came from. Oh, yes. One of the great oh, moments in the film. So where, good. That gag is where he... You want to explain the gag, yeah, George? Yeah, the, um, uh, the Gestapo man, Tote, is brought in, and it's he's going to talk, quotation marks, to uh, <laughs> to Marion, who has been captured by the Nazis. And uh, he, he pulls this chain and leather device out of his coat. And it's a low that, shot, so you're looking right. up at his, you know, from under his chin there. And it, and it looks like it looks like a set of, of nunchucks, you know, with chains that he's going to beat her with. And he kind of begins to turn and twist this thing until it's a coat hanger. And then he takes his coat off and puts his coat on it. Well, this bit was something that Spielberg had been hanging on to because he originally used it in the film 1941, when oh, it was yeah. a scene that was cut from the film. I've actually seen it. If you get the DVD of it, it's on one of the extras, where Christopher Lee is the Nazi bad guy in that one. He's going to interrogate Slim Pickens, and he pulls the same thing out of his coat pocket and fiddles around with it, turns it into a hanger, and then takes his coat off and puts it on it. So it's basically a, a triangle. He forms these chains with the nunchuck yeah. bars in between into a hanger, flips it around behind his back, and the guy puts the coat that he just took off of him onto Which it. Which is it's, one of the most memorable uh, gags moment, of all time. And it's so funny. I mean, it, it gets such a big laugh because it looks really threatening. And it comes out of the, the sort of the tension of the moment. And that's why the comedy in this film works so well is because the great comedy in it comes out of the tension in the film. Like the other one, very memorable, where the, the sword guy yeah. <laughs> comes out to challenge him. Yeah, that's really great. That's a gag that everybody will remember. And You're probably sitting in your car listening, oh, yeah, I like gag, because you all remember Apparently, it, you know. I can't remember, but I think I heard that that George, uh, George Harrison, that would be Harrison Ford, <laughs> George Lucas, all the, uh, yeah, uh, that uh, Harrison Ford suggested that, that it originally was this one way, but why doesn't he just you know pull well, out his revolver? The story I've heard, and I do not have confirmation of this, but it's a great story, yeah. is that when they were <laughs> shooting that, they did have a big fight all worked out between him and the swordsman, but wherever they were over there in Marrakesh or wherever it was, um, 
Harrison Ford had gotten a bit of the, uh, the I guess what we used to call the green apple quick step <laughs> or the, uh, the runs. The runs. Uh, <laughs> and somebody was like, in a lot of discomfort, and I guess he kind of suggested, or maybe even had ad-libbed that at one point. And, and they decided it was a much better thing. That's very apocryphal, so don't take it as, yeah. as any kind of gospel. But it's a good story. But he's running, trying to find the girl, and the cr- a crowd separates because the big sword man becomes, and he starts doing all these uh, you know, displays of wizardry with his sword. He does all these fancy moves. And then Harrison, standing some paces away, just pulls his revolver pulls and shoots. shoots him. It just That's a great moment. Yeah, <laughs> it's very fun. Another thing that I've always admired about this motion picture um, is is depiction of the woman in the role who is um, the the woman Marion Ravenwood in this picture? Um, She's very much a Howard Hawks kind of she, woman. But you know, she she never loses her femininity. How do you say that? Yeah, so femininity. I don't get busted yeah, here, she's you know? <laughs> she never because Nikki's gonna bust me for saying minimum or femininity or I have to get a lecture. She takes me behind the door and says, "No, femininity." Anyway, yeah. She, you know, puts on a dress and knows how to wear it. She knows how to grab a machine gun. She knows how to take care of a problem. Yeah. She's not throwing 200-pound men around like they do nowadays. They throw them around with, like, there's no gravity. There's no gravity. No, 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 no. Uh, but she's smart. she does she's... it with incredible character, and she uses her brain, and she's sexy. Yeah. I mean, Karen Allen was one of the missing elements of this franchise when they had... Kate Catshaw and the very cool Nazi villain, the tall blonde Nazi villain. And the third one, not none of, of her. None mm-hmm. of those women. I mean, she was a villain, but and Karen wasn't. She's the uh, you know one of the stars. But I've always thought that Karen Allen was the best action adventure female role of all time Which in this movie. Gave me hope for this new one because she's in it. They she, brought yeah, her back. At least they brought her back. You know. Um, <laughs> But we're not going to talk about the new no, movie sorry. here. We're, <laughs> well, we're talking about perfect movies. We're stuck in time. We go back to the past every Friday and we talk about perfect movies. That's right. So we can't waste our time talking on a brand new movie. So. That's all right. Well, so we're talking about the original Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, Indiana Jones, I guess, is the first, the, 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 the main title. And then they have the subtitle. So Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark. No, that uh, was actually added. Oh, is that true? Um, after the third one for, I think it was the first. I can't remember if it was the first DVD release or it was the well, last, that, the first time all three films were released together. That's what I have, so that's why I think that. Yeah, and they added the, because they wanted to make them all equal, you know, so they made it Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Well, yeah, I, just, yeah, I remember it as just Indiana Jones, Lost Ark. right? Just like the original titles, the, you know, Star Wars was the title of Star Wars A New Hope. Yeah. It wasn't episode four, which they did no. put in later, which I, I don't or like the tinkering. I don't like, like the tinkering. Monster Go Home. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> the Monsters movie. Monster Go Home. Yeah. It was called The Monsters and then they added Monster Go Home, right? Isn't that how that I think so, yeah. Is it really true? You're just I can't remember, but <laughs> pulling my leg now. No, no, yeah. we wouldn't pull your leg about the monsters. We, we are talking no about way. the movie that started. Hey, do you, do you envision any prequels here? <laughs> do you think that would well, ever happen? Well, actually, did that. There was a, a very the... popular television series yeah. for a couple seasons of the Young Indiana Jones. Young Indiana Jones. Well, see what I don't know. Um, wow. Well, I, I did it. Was it good? Um, I've heard varying things. I've yeah. heard there was there was one series where he's very young. And then there's one where he's like a teenager. Well, there's one movie coming out. I think it's called Rhode Island Ruth. And she's a fighting truck driver. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> 
These film guys, they are so smart, I can't even keep up. Uh, we're talking with J. Todd Anderson, storyboard artist for the Coen Brothers. Yeah, they and brick George, in our purse. <laughs> you're going to get it later. George Williman, the nitrate film archivist for the Library of Congress. And we're talking about Raiders of the Lost Ark, which is how it was called when it was uh, just released. absolutely a perfect movie. There's no doubt about it. It creates a world existent. It's... I completely believe it. And another thing, and uh, I always think it's notable when movies that uh, the film guys have deemed perfect are also immensely attractive to my children. My son, who will be seven soon, just thinks this movie is the greatest thing. And also, George, he particularly liked the plane with the map, you know, with the map, the red line going over the map. He wanted to know what those countries were. And And this is an interesting little bit of useless trivia for you. Hit me. Those shots of that plane, that great uh, China clipper. Yeah. were actually stock shots from a truly hideous movie, a musical remake of Lost Horizon that was done in the early 70s. Really? Yes. Look that one up sometime. Hey, George, <laughs> do you think this was, uh, what was you talking about earlier? Do you think this is the last movie that was actually held over? Yes. I um, got to thinking about this the other day, and this is something that a lot of the really young people have never seen. But, uh, you know, we remember when this film came out in 81, in the summer of 81, and was showing at the old Regent Cinema in Springfield, Ohio, and it ran all summer. But I mean, that's before we like had thirty weeks before we had multi screens where yeah, they daisy chained you know, one film and went through and all the theaters. Ad for Raid of Lost Ark, and it would say held over twenty seventh great week. So it's even more notable because there weren't multiple screens for so for it to be held over means that another screen didn't get it yeah. any viewing. I mean, and you know, we didn't get any. You home. might go to your movie theater and notice that the screenings are not too far apart. There is good reason for that because there's only one print up there, and it goes through all the projectors in the right. theater. That is a true story. Is, is that, that am I not correct there, George? You are correct. Wow. That's the way, you know, the next screening is like a nine and then the next one's nine ten and then the other one's nine fifteen. They have these like series right, of they, they So there's like a tunnel spaced out with a certain amount of, of threading leaders so they can load up you know, four or five projectors with the same print. And you bet your sweet life that uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark was on that daisy chain somewhere in these theaters. Wow. So it was held over for 30-some weeks, which is, I mean, there's only 52 weeks in a year. That's yeah. that's astonishing. So it's amazing. But, but because, you know, in 81 was, you know, the beginning of the video revolution, and we had, you know, VHS was really taken off. And I remember getting my copy of Raiders of the Lost Ark on VHS in, like, 1982 when it first came out. And it was, like, 40, 40 or 50 bucks. And um, ever since then, I mean, films no longer last in the theaters for longer than, I mean, what is it now, four or five weeks? Yeah. Six yeah, weeks. but you know what? I have noticed uh, uh, several years ago, I was in Minneapolis, Minnesota working on a movie, and they sh- it was a dead winter, and they had their only theater there in town. It's a college town uh, where I was living at the time. And they were playing Raiders of the Lost Ark. The, the original. In 1981. This is probably in, I don't know, 2002 or sometime. I was in Minneapolis. And um, I walked down there, and the place was packed. Oh, how cool. <laughs> that movie, it, it would be still. Worth seeing, and I'll it? bet you you could run that movie anywhere at a theater, and people would still show up to see it on that big screen, because the thing is Perfect. We ought to do a special with it. Gentlemen, we are almost out of time. I'm telling you, just almost down to the last minute. But let's just do a quick review. It certainly creates the world, no question about that. Oh, man. 
it's created a franchise. It's own little world there. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's created own little world of, of toys, games, and clothing devices. Yeah. <laughs> it sustains that world uh, even through, I mean, that's a testament right there that uh, 20 years later, people are still packing the house to And they're still the buying screen. fedora hats because of this movie, you know, <laughs> and they're still signing up for archaeologist school. You know, guys are signing. People want to become archaeologists because of Indiana Jones. And they that's nailed right. it on his style because that is, it's timeless. The the fedora and the he leather looks like, jacket. Um, he looks like uh, in the greatest show on Earth, George. Oh, it looks like Charlton Heston. Yeah, that's who they modeled him after. And Jack Plants had that garb in some other movie, the fedora and the leather coat and the yep. bullwhip, you know, the cut. Yep. And I think they'll be watching it well into the future. We've been talking about Raiders of the Lost Ark on Filmically Perfect on 91.3 WYSO. I'm Nikki Dakota. See the new one and come back home and buy this one because you're not going to be disappointed. That's there you right. go. And finally, uh, Paramount has put out a single DVD of it. So, so if you don't you like the other it. two, you can buy Raiders by itself. Uh-huh. There you go. Hey, gentlemen, goodbye. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. Please keep an ear out for new episodes of Filmically Perfect. Coming very soon to iTunes and hosted on our website, www.perfectmovie.net. See you, please.